Hello, friends at New Life Church in Collingwood. It's my privilege to be able to be with you today online. I wish I could be with you there in person, but I can't today. And so uh, glad to uh, record this message online. My name is Charlie Mashiner. I'm the Executive Director of the Being Christ Church of Canada, the denomination that you're part of. And uh, as always, whenever I uh, do a talk, I try to bring greetings on behalf of our wider church family. Uh, we are all together weathering through the pandemic, and I think we've done really well. Uh, we've proven to be a resilient uh, group of people as our churches and congregations, and uh, we're just so glad uh, for the way that everyone's pulled together and uh, worked to uh, just uh, navigate through uh, this unexpected 100-year um, crisis that we've been facing over the last year and a half. And thank you for your part and for your support of our denominational work together. We're really excited about uh, the things that uh, we're able to do together. And uh, right now, Camp Kakwa uh, has had to uh, pivot and change their program. They've done some day camp programs this summer uh, here in Niagara and also uh, have uh, been running program at the camp, renting out cottages and stuff. And we're so glad in this time when uh, we weren't sure what the summer was going to hold uh, that Cock has been able to make a great pivot as well. And so thank you uh, for the way you're supporting our flow ministry program. We've got a full range of internship program, uh, people involved in our internship program this summer. And so we're uh, glad for that. There's just a couple of things that we're uh, continuing to do together, uh, even though uh, we've had some challenges with the pandemic. Well, uh, my message today really is, I hope, a word of encouragement to you as we begin to uh, move toward reopening and getting back things back to normal and uh, navigating some of the, uh, the waters that we're going through as we begin to come out uh, of, uh, of this pandemic. Um, many years ago uh, now, my wife and I experienced what for us was a very uh, distressing time in our lives. Our four-month-old son, uh, Benjamin, our firstborn son, um, fell seriously ill and was eventually diagnosed uh, with what we found out was bacterial uh, meningitis. In a matter of hours, our lives went from being completely normal with a, a beautiful uh, baby boy um, to the f uh, place where our son was uh, just hanging on uh, by a, a thread. He was taken to Sick Kids Hospital in Toronto. He was having seizures. And these seizures ravaged his brain. And uh, after about six weeks in the hospital, uh, a doctor came into our room and told us that um, Ben was going to be profoundly disabled. Um, that he probably wouldn't function much more than at a six-month cognitive level. Um, his eyesight, uh, he was virtually blind, and uh, he probably would uh, never have any mobility. Um, he told us probably the best thing for us to do would be to um, put our son in a care home and uh, move on with our lives. That was the advice we received. A few weeks before we had... Uh, stood in front of our congregation that we were part of. I was, uh, we, my wife, I, Becky, and I were involved in youth ministry in that congregation. And we stood in front of the congregation and dedicated our little boy to the Lord. And so um, this, was, this was obviously just such a huge setback uh, for us. And uh, we were just distraught trying to figure out uh, what to do. And so we began to visit some of these care homes um, that the uh, medical professionals had uh, and social services had uh, referred us to. We went to one in particular and we, we toured this care home and it was a fine institution with, with good people that were working there that were giving good care uh, to the people that were, the children in particular that were there that were profoundly disabled. But in that moment we just felt like uh, the Lord uh, through his spirit spoke to us in such a powerful way 
and just told us, um, you dedicated him to me and I gave him to you. He was on loan to you. Um, take him home and I'll help you and do the best you can. And I know that's not God's word for everybody, uh, but it was God's word for us. And so uh, we took Ben home and we began a 19 year adventure of uh, parenting a handicapped uh, child while trying to be a pastor of a growing congregation uh, as well. And um, during those early days of that experience, um, a friend introduced us to a word um, that he said was in his life was an important word. It was the word pluck. I wasn't too uh, aware of this word. Uh, Looked it up and found out it means uh, spirited and determined courage. It's not ordinary courage. It's spirited and determined courage. It's uh, courage that's got a defiant streak to it. Um, and we felt that God was saying to us, this is what I'm going to help you to do. You've, you've got to rise up and have some pluck. It's not just accepting a new reality, but it means believing uh, that your life is not just less good than it could have been, but that uh, God can actually use the thing that he's allowed to come into your life to bless you and to make something new and beautiful uh, out of it. And he's going to help you to do it. And for us, that pluck, that resilient streak was what God wanted to develop in us. And I believe what he wants to develop in every follower of Jesus and what he wants us to learn to develop in our local congregations as well. When Jesus would um, come to people um, and often was going to reach out and and touch those people in healing of some kind or or another, um, people would often be afraid. Um, there was a fear that was was a part of their experience. And Jesus would say to those people, it's recorded in the New Testament, I believe, at least nine times, when Jesus would say uh, to those people, don't be afraid, take courage. That phrase, take courage, is that word uh, really kind of this, this idea of pluck. Um, grab hold of courage. I know you don't believe, I know you're afraid, but reach out and grab hold of the little bit of courage that you have and live in it. And so for us, for the next 19 years of our lives, we were finding ourselves over and over again, just reaching out and trying to grab hold of the courage and the strength that the Lord would give us to get through uh, that experience. Not the one we had hoped for or expected or asked for, but the one that came to us. And the Lord said, I want to do something new and beautiful out of that in your lives. This is the opportunity uh, that we all have. My son eventually left us and is experiencing a, a new and full reality of life. And so we've had to apply that and take courage for lots of other experiences uh, of our lives as well. In the Old Testament book of Joshua, uh, one of my favorite uh, books of the Bible, uh, Moses, the longtime and much-loved leader of the children of Israel, has been uh, taken home. And so uh, they stood on the verge of entering a new world, a new opportunity that God was giving them to enter this new land we often refer to as the promised land. It's a land, a beautiful place, but they were going to have to uh, acquire it, and it wasn't going to be easy to do. There were people there, there were adversaries living there, and they were going to have to move into that land and, and uh, possess it. They were afraid. They sent out originally a, a group of people to um, look out, check out the land. And those people came back and brought a terrible report. Ten of them did. Two of them believed that they could easily take the land because the Lord was on their side. 
the other 10 said, no, there's big people that live there and there's great adversaries there. And um, the Bible says in the book of Numbers that they became like grasshoppers in their own eyes. And so that's how they looked to other people. They looked small to other people. They thought of themselves as being small and they gave in to doubt and fear. And um, God says, well, then you're going to wander for a while till you figure this out. And so they wandered for 40 years before they were ready again to enter the promised land. In Joshua chapter 1, the story is told in Joshua. Joshua is writing this, I believe, in a partnership with, uh, with someone else that was writing down the story for him. And he recounts the story of what happened in those early days when they were ready to re-enter the promised land for the second time. Joshua had been one of the positive voices in the original reconnaissance team uh, that had gone in. And so now they have this new leader, Joshua. And here's what it says in Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give you, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon, and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea in the West. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will also be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. And then these words, verse 6, Be strong and courageous, because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give to them. Be strong and very courageous, verse 7. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Now, you don't have to be much of a Bible scholar or amateur theologian uh, to figure out what the big message is of uh, this passage. Uh, these words keep getting reiterated over and over again. Verse 6, be strong and courageous. Verse 7, be strong and very courageous. And then down uh, to the last verse, verse 9, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. In the words of Jesus, take courage. Have some pluck. We can rightly assume that this was exactly the message that Joshua needed to hear at this point in time in his life and for his leadership. Uh, so much so that as he's was he recounting the story from memory, he said, this is like exactly what the Lord said to me at just the right time as I was starting out. What uh, might it mean for us in a time when so many are afraid? Let me give you um, some words to reflect on, some ideas to reflect on today that uh, maybe you can take away and apply to your life, first on a personal level and then on a congregational level. Um, we know that pandemics are always times of great disruption and fear. I don't know that personally. The last one was uh, in the early 1900s, but historically we're told that pandemics are great uh, times of disruption and fear. The complication of this pandemic that we've lived through is that we have this wonderful thing called social media. And the voices of the so-called experts, who apparently everybody is an expert these days, have been greatly amplified. 
The pandemic has been fertile ground for conspiracy theories and doomsday predictions of all kinds. Pandemics are times of great fear, fear of getting sick, of getting COVID, uh, fear of losses, of not being able to see the people that you love, of losing your life savings because your business couldn't operate uh, like it used to, of the loss of basic freedoms, of being able to even go uh, to a restaurant or go to school, and fears about the future. Uh, Will things ever go back to the way they were before? Will life ever be the same ever again? Atop, on top of all this is this passive-aggressive uh, rage, I think, that we have sometimes about things that come into our lives that we don't want to come or don't expect to come to be part of our story. And sometimes uh, the first drop a stage of all that is just to kind of move into this sort of rage. Why did this happen to me? Why did this come into my life? Why did we have to have this pandemic? And um, we just kind of rage against these things. Like my son, when he first got sick and we asked, why did this happen? He was so, he was doing okay. Why did he get sick? It's like a bad dream. Maybe we'll wake up. But I think in our quieter, more nobler moments, if we take pause, We realize over and over again that life is mostly about uh, accepting what comes to us, the things we cannot change, the things that happen to us and occur that we have no control over. But the thing we do have have control over is learning how to respond and what we're going to do with the circumstances of our lives uh, that um, we can change and do something about our attitude, our reactions, our responses, our uh, ways that we navigate through things that Uh, come. It's about taking courage. Life is about taking courage in the face of tremendous obstacles and reaching out and deciding um, to to have that kind of defiant kind of pluck. And so as a, a people of God individually and corporately, how might this work out in our lives? Well, let me give you, first of all, uh, something that I think we can do personally to take courage, like Joshua was told to in his day. Uh, the first thing I think we need to do on a personal level is refuse uh, to give in to fear. I know there's all kinds of conspiracy theories and lies and negativity, and there's a spirit of criticism and pessimism about the future that can kind of just invade our lives. Uh, God showed Joshua um, that this is what people got people into trouble in the times before him, was this negativity and this fear that they allowed to captivate them. And in their own way, they became very small in their own thinking, and they began to think small thoughts. Remember the words of Jesus to his followers in the Gospel of John, where Jesus says, In this world you will have trouble, but be of good cheer, he says. I have overcome the world. God says to Joshua, Don't be afraid. I am going to be with you wherever you go. You won't be alone. You won't be facing uh, things alone. Fear is a real thing. And pretending, trying to pretend that um, circumstances aren't tough or difficult or that uh, they're not fearful kind of things that come into our lives doesn't help us at all. But the idea of Scripture is learning to overcome fear with faith. Fear, overcoming fear, is reminding ourselves of what is true. That God is with us in the midst of these things and He can help us and that He can take the circumstances of our lives and make something new and beautiful out of them if we'll cooperate with him. Several years ago, I I learned this little phrase. I think it was from a song. It simply went this way. My life is in God's hands. What better place for it to be? The one who sees beyond today must know what's best for you and me. 
we have found in our lives that when uh, we say, God, would you just take this? We trust you. Would you help us every day? We don't know what we're doing. We can't figure this out on our own. We feel weak. And in those moments of weakness, God would come to us and help us and strengthen us. So much so that we look back oftentimes over the course of our lives and say, how did we get through that? And the only answer is, God helped us. I believe God wants to help you in whatever circumstance you're dealing with, whether it's COVID or whether it's the loss of a loved one or whether it's a financial crisis or whatever's going on in your life that's causing you turmoil and anxiety. I believe the place to start is asking God to help you and trusting him. One of the greatest prayers that we can pray is this simple prayer. And Lamont says, help. The second thing uh, that I would encourage us to take away today to take courage about is on a corporate level, on a congregational level, and I think we need to remember uh, today, it's important for our churches to remember, uh, just who our builder is and who's the contractor in charge of this project of building the church and who really owns the church, who, who does it belong to. Jesus once had this interaction with Peter, and uh, he said, um, Peter, you're going to be like this rock-like feature uh, in the early church. You're going to be your name. His name literally meant the rock, Cephas. And he said, "You're going to you're going to be like a cornerstone person in the life of the church. But it's my church, and I'm going to build it, and I'm going to use you in great and unusual ways to build my church." I like to always be reminded uh, that this is God's church belongs to Jesus, and I'm just partnering with Him. He's the builder, and we've got a really good builder. We have the best contractor, and he's building his church in ways that I don't often see or expect. Jim Collins, in his book, Good to Great, interviewed Admiral Jim Stockdale, the highest-ranking officer in the Hanoi Hilton prisoner of war camp during the Vietnam War. It was a terrible place. He wrote this regarding the prisoner of war camp. Uh, Collins asked Stockdale, who didn't make it out of the Hanoi Hilton prisoner of war camp? Oh, that's easy, answered Stockdale. The optimists. The optimists? I don't understand, responded Collins. The optimists. Oh, they were the ones who said, we're going to be out by Christmas. And then Christmas would come and Christmas would go. And then they'd say, we're going to be out by Easter. And then Easter would come and Easter would go. And then Thanksgiving, and then it would be Christmas again. And they died of a broken heart. He said, this is an important lesson. You must never confuse faith that you will prevail in the end which you can never afford to lose, with the discipline to confront the most brutal facts of your current reality, whatever they might be. The facts are, right now, is that uh, this has been a tremendous disruption, this pandemic, to the life of our congregations. We are really good at meeting together. In fact, that's what we did a lot of times, and we crafted a lot of our activities around being together, meeting together. Um, and so when we couldn't be together, it threw us for a tremendous loop. Uh, pastors, in my conversations with them over and over again, have learned how transactional preaching is. Uh, just ask your pastor how difficult it is to keep preaching week in, week out to something like this, to uh, a video where you don't get any feedback, and how, uh, how great it is to be able to speak in person to a group of people you can make eye contact with and who laugh at your stories and who um, are just there in spirit with you. And there's this transactional element, and we love that. I wish I could be there with you today. 
um, we've not been able to be free to meet on Sunday mornings. And then we have all kinds of worries. What's it going to be like in the future? People have got used to having church in their pajamas or watching at some other time of the week. Will they ever come back together in person again? I remind you as a footnote today that the Blue Jays are playing again in Toronto and apparently the tickets are worth astronomical sums of money and people are just eating them up they, because they want to be back together so much to watch a ball game. Some people are afraid of social settings, I, I get that. And it'll be a while before they want to come back together and feel safe doing that. Um, I don't think it's going to be life as usual in our churches for the next little while. But the good news is that Jesus is still building his church, and he's been building it all through this pandemic. Uh, we've learned new ways of caring for each other. We've learned the value of technology and how important it is and how, uh, what an opportunity we have to use it if we use it strategically as a tool. Uh, we've learned how important it is uh, when we are together to just seize the moment and don't see it as a have to, uh, but a get to. I always used to tell my kids about uh, that, about taking out the garbage. You don't have to take out the garbage. You get to take out the garbage. Um, you know, and that's a sign of how much we stuff we have because we have so much to throw away. Um, church, for some people, have become this have-to kind of experience. Do I have to go to church today? Well, I hope now it's a get-to for you that when we actually get to be back together, that it's something that you want to be part of because you get to see some people in person. And uh, it's something we won't pass up on. The uh, church historian and writer that's gone to be with the Lord now named Phyllis Tickle wrote a book that I think is an important book. It's called The Great Emergence. And in that book, she argues that uh, every 500 years, the church has a reformation. And she says it's like a garage sale. And during that time, we uh, think through uh, what we want to keep. We do a real deep dive on, on the things that are important, and we figure out what are the things that we've kind of picked up along the way that really aren't that important that we should just let go of. Uh, Tickle suggested that we're kind of heading into this season, and I think the pandemic has kind of accentuated uh, that. Uh, these are days of change. There's going to be changes to how we do things. But I believe the future is just as bright because Jesus is building his church, and so new uh, ways of forming our congregations and new ways of doing things have emerged and will continue to emerge because we've learned some of the lessons of resilience and versatility. You know, resilience is a wonderful concept until you have to live in it for a little while. And so we've learned these days about what it means to be resilient. And so, uh, my friends, today, my word to you would be take courage. Um, strong and determined courage. Uh, take pluck for your lives. On a personal level, don't give in to fear. Remember that God can do new and beautiful things, rearranging the things of your life for good and bringing something beautiful out of them. As a congregation, remember that um, God is building his church. Jesus is building his church, and he wants uh, you to know that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Is everything going to look exactly the same? I'm not sure. But I do know that in spite of some of the challenges we've been through, that God has been at work in powerful ways in his church and continues to be at work. And so today, may you know deep in your soul that God is with you. May you take courage in what he offers to you, the hope that he offers to you, when you reach out to him with that simple prayer help, both personally and as a congregation. 
And may the Lord show you as you move into this next season of life together at New Life Church in Collingwood that uh, he has wonderful things in store for you and blessings in store for, for you. And uh, the things that you've learned through this time won't be wasted, but will be blessings to you as you move further down the road. Thank you for having me to be with you today. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you uh, today that even though we don't know what's around the corner of our lives, you do. And so you're looking after us and taking care of us and bringing beautiful things out of the things that oftentimes look to us uh, like terrible things and look like disasters. Help us to learn what it means uh, to be wide open to what you want to do in our lives, to accept the things we cannot change, and then to change the things that we can and to lean into you and rely on your help. Thank you for every person at New Life today. I pray you bless the church, bless Pastor Paul and the whole staff there. And I pray that uh, you just pour out your blessing across our whole denomination. And may we just find that uh, new opportunities are arising as we trust you by faith to move in uh, to the promised lands that you have for us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.